My favourite bridge is Vauxhall Bridge. There are statues on each of the arches of the bridge and they represent Victorian ideals. And the statue for architecture is holding in her hand a tiny little St Paul's. And it's the smallest cathedral in London. My favourite bridge in London is the Millennium Bridge. It completely changes the two historic landmarks that it's built in between. St Paul was constructed in the 1600s and the Tate Modern Building in the 1800s. So it's a link between two different states of London. I've lived in London for a few years now, and I've lived both south and north of the river. Both are great, but the best thing is to go from one side to the other and cross the river. It's so beautiful. My favourite, by the way, is Waterloo Bridge, because it has a great view of the other bridges. Did I mention I really like bridges? If you like bridges too, welcome to this episode of Constructed, with me, Miranda Schiller. The London bridges, I think, are more different than any other city in the world mainly because of the English attitude to planning, so we do not like formal plans like, for instance, you get in France. This is Brian Cookson, certified Bluebird tour guide and author of Crossing the River, the history of London's Thames River bridges from Richmond to the Tower. And so each of the bridges was built by a separate company and using a separate style. And of course, over the centuries, the technology of bridges has completely changed. So the earliest bridges tended to be built in wood and then stone, and then finally iron. And then in the 20th century, the new idea of pre-stressed concrete comes in. So all the bridges really have different styles, different technology, and uh, different lengths of time where they lasted. But before building bridges was open to anyone, it was very much closed to everyone. For the longest time in London's history, it had only one bridge, and any attempt to build another was prevented. The one which lasted the longest, funnily enough, was the oldest one, built with the least effective technology, which was Old London Bridge. And that lasted for 600 years, would you believe? To cross the river anywhere else, you had to get a boat. For instance, at Lambeth there was a horse ferry. Uh, at Putney, the Bishop of London owned a horse ferry. This is why you sometimes find a horse ferry road near the river. But they were not just ferries, you could also cross with the help of a wherryman or waterman and his boat or wherry. The wherrymen owned a boat called a wherry and they would stay at a stairs which is really a landing stage on the river. That's why all those stairs that lead straight into the water are there. And so if you want to cross, let's say you want to cross from the city to Southwark and London Bridge was too congested, you go down to one of the stairs and you find a wherryman and then you negotiate with him how much he's going to charge you to take you wherever you wanted to go. A bit like a taxi. Very much like a taxi. The wherrymen were organised in the Waterman's Company and they didn't want new bridges to be built for fear of losing business. The horse ferries were owned by bishops, the one at Lambeth by none other than the Archbishop of Canterbury. And the City Corporation of London owned Old London Bridge, which they charged toll for and they didn't want to lose their monopoly. So these three formed a strong opposition to new bridges, even though the one who did want to build new bridges was... The most important person in the country, he didn't have a bridge to cross over to his kingdom in the south. Yes, that's right. The king himself wanted a bridge nearer the Palace of Westminster. And it was Charles II who really tried to get a bridge put up there. 
So those three vested interests opposed the idea of a bridge at Westminster, but of course City Corporation had a lot of money and they offered a, a large interest-free permanent loan to the King and that was a clinching argument which meant he didn't actually build the bridge, which wasn't built for another hundred years afterwards. So the power of capital overruling the power of government is nothing new. Well, the monarchy shouldn't have given bridging rights over to the city hundreds of years earlier. In a nutshell, the remarkable um, London Bridge story is Edward the Confessor moves his court to Westminster outside um, the old city walls. This is Adam Poole, market analyst for an engineering firm, who has also written about bridges and is especially interested in unintended consequences. But it allowed medieval London um, to develop away from the court and um, we had the old London Bridge. To get it built in stone you had King John ceding bridging rights to city merchants in return for cash. And then they maintained a stranglehold on the fact that there was one bridge and kept it there for the next 500 years. And those city merchants, according to Adam Poole, they only existed because of the bridge. Because you'd had one bridge for so long, the effect of restricting growth around the city, um, I mean, I think you can make quite a good argument that the whole rise of merchant banking happened with that sort of artificial constraint around London. But eventually, the city grew so much it had to expand, and little commercial centres appeared on both sides of the river. More and more goods had to be transported on horse-drawn carts across the river, instead of on ships along the river. So London Bridge had a huge problem with congestion. When Westminster Bridge was built in 1750, Old London Bridge made rather dramatic change in that they decided the congestion was worse because there was no rule of the road. So they introduced for the very first time in world history the idea that you should drive along the left side of the road. That is to say, they turned this idea into an enforceable rule. If you drive on the left, you are sure to be right. And that instituted an improvement in the congestion on London Bridge. But fairly soon after that, of course, the French decided that they would drive on the right just to be different. And so now half the world drives on the left and half on the right. To be more accurate, 65% of the world drives on the right, but let's not nitpick. And it took almost another 100 years, until 1835, before left-side driving was mandatory in all of Britain, and not just in specific, heavily congested areas like London Bridge. If you drive on the left, you are sure to be right. Now more and more bridges were built in quick succession. Ferries and wherrymen went out of business. But east of Tower Bridge, the river was congested as always. No bridge could be built high and long enough to provide enough space for the large ships on their way to the docks. In 1825, engineer Mark Brunel thought, if they can't build over the Thames, why not build under it? The first tunnel under the Thames was built by Isambard Kingdom Brunel's father, Mark Brunel, and Isambard Kingdom himself, who built the famous Rotherhithe Tunnel. Actually, it was the Thames Tunnel, which goes from to which was to have been a horse tunnel, so you could take your carriages under, but it took 33 years to build because of the technology at the time. The technology at the time, of course, didn't exist. This was not only the first tunnel under the Thames, but the first tunnel under a river anywhere in the world. Prior to this, tunnels had been built by cutting a trench, building a brick tube, and covering it up again. There's no way to do that underwater, or under a city for that matter. 
So Mark Brunel invented a way. He designed a shield made of metal and wood, divided into man-sized compartments. In each compartment, a man would work away at the mud, and behind them, bricklayers would build thick waterproof walls. Bit by bit, they progressed through the tunnel, furrowing like an animal would. This technology is still used today, except it's not powered by manual labor anymore. But only because of Brunel's invention, the underground network could be built. So it's a remarkable engineering achievement. But it was very dangerous. A lot of people got killed in doing it. Lots of floodings. Only six workers got killed directly in a flood that Isambard Kingdom Brunel himself only narrowly escaped from. But there were several floods, some fires, and sometimes toxic gas would emanate from the mud. Working in the tunnel must have been unimaginably hard, and there are no records on how many workers died from illness contracted through their work. But when that was finished, they ran out of money, so they couldn't build the slopes taking the horses down, so it was just a foot tunnel. Today, there is a permanent exhibition about the tunnel's history by the south entrance, the Brunel Museum. At the price of one penny, the exact same price that the bridge or the ferry would charge, not enough money came in to pay off the debt accrued during the building phase. Even though for many years the tunnel was one of the main tourist attractions of the world, parties and funfairs were held in there, and so many shops selling souvenirs opened up that it was dubbed the world's first underwater shopping arcade. After a while that became a bit boring, so in the 1860s it was converted into what's now known as the London Overground, even though it does, goes under the river, it's part of the London Overground system. And finally, in 1869, the Metropolitan Board of Works started buying all the bridges and abolishing the tolls. Crossing the river is now free. In East London, because enough bridges were never built, a ferry remained, the Woolwich Ferry. Woolwich convinced the Metropolitan Board of Works to finance a free ferry service. And to this day, the Woolwich Free Ferry is the only way in London to cross the river east of Tower Bridge in a vehicle. The river here is wide and still has that industrial flair. With lots of new developments going on in East London, new river crossings are planned. Some railway tunnels, some bridges. But bridges are expensive, and who knows which plans are ever going to be successful and what it might mean for the ferry. A similar situation, but also very different, is found at the other end of town, all the way west in Twickenham. There's the last privately run ferry. Hamilton's Ferry, going from Twickenham to Ham House, a National Trust house. So obviously we're here, there used to be one at those steps there. Mm -hmm. There used to be one down there, there'd have been hundreds up and down the Thames. And why do you think this one was the one that remained? It's hard, I don't know really. I think just because we got the, the best spot, we got Ham House, Marble Hill House. It's like an attraction, isn't it? People are always going to want to come here. And for some reason, people are even happy to pay for the crossing. Granted, at one pound or 50 pence for children, it's not very much. And as passengers are mainly tourists or children on their way to school. Although for this trip, I'm the only passenger and it's likely to be the last of the day. Andrew seems like he is in his perfect place on this boat. But whenever I meet anyone who's taking over a business from their parents, I can't help but wonder, has he ever wanted to do anything else? I can imagine working somewhere else with Walter but nothing, not like an office job or a, I'm just not built for that. Would not be able to do it. I haven't even got a phone. You don't? No. No phone, I don't know how to use a computer, honestly. <laughs> but, I mean, the ferry does have an online presence. Yeah, yeah, we've got like a web, yeah, yeah, we've got a website. Facebook yeah, 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 website, we do all that. Yeah. So that's like, I've got two sisters. 
Okay. So we're all apart, us now, us three. We have to take care of things. So today, our two sisters do all the, the online stuff. I'm just a little river gypsy. But his existence as a little river gypsy may be in danger. With a delay of about 200 years, his ferry is facing the same threat all other Thames ferries have faced before him. They want to build a bridge going across there. So then obviously that would wipe our, us out. And all this down here is a protected view. So obviously you can't build anything on here. Hopefully. Visit Hamilton's Ferry at hamiltonsferry.com to find out where to find it in real life. You can find pictures, links and information about the ferry, the Brunel Museum, London's planned bridges and much more at constructedpodcast.com. Thanks to Chris Miller for the music and to Fran Olfrey and Mike Hendrick for telling me about their favorite bridges. Thank you for listening. This was Constructed. <laughs>